Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 134. Tungsten Super Shot and Wild Turkeys with Nick Charney. And I am your host. I'm back. The guy who got back from his annual turkey hunting trip out of state this past Saturday. And I had a great time on that trip. I am glad to be home though. And I will tell a little bit more about the trip here in just a minute. But first, I have to tell you that we are 301 days. 8 hours, 1 minute, and 38 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. And I have a long list of to-dos, not only to get ready for turkey season for 2018, but I have a long list of to-dos around my house after being gone for 60 days roughly chasing turkeys, one of which is relandscaping the front yard, which I happened to have sprayed with glyphosate before I left town. And of course, I didn't tell my wife that I sprayed it. And when I got back, everything was brown. She couldn't quite figure out why everything in the front yard died, but I had to let her know when I got back what happened. So I've got a little landscaping project coming up at the house, and I've got some farming projects coming up on a couple of my hunting properties. And I will be planting milo or grain sorghum on my property in Chilton County this weekend. And I'm also going to be planting chufa on my hunting property in Perry County and in Bibb County as well. And all three of those spots are my during the week hunting spots. So I can hunt those spots Monday through Friday and be back in the office at a decent hour instead of driving two hours to the hunting camp to hunt, which I wouldn't do, and it would severely limit my number of days in the woods, so we can't have that. So before I get into the story of my trip to Arizona and Utah, I want to thank you guys who have shared pictures with me via social media or email this turkey season. And I want to thank you for telling me how much you feel like this podcast has helped you during turkey season. Hearing that from you guys really gets me fired up and it gives me the juice that I need to keep going and push through these long, hot, upcoming summer months where all I can do is dream about 
Chasing Turkeys in 2018, and Dream About, the hunts that I had in 2017, even though they were few and far between. And there were a bunch of you guys who shared pictures with me, and I'm very, very appreciative of that. So, all right, I'm back from the trip, as I mentioned, and I need a vacation to recover from my vacation because getting up between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning and being in the woods at 4.30 and hunting until dark at 8 p.m. is tough work. Now, granted, it's good work, but it's tough work. And so this old body of mine is not very happy with me right now. Plus, it's trying to figure out what I am doing getting six to seven hours of sleep per day. My body feels like it's sleep overload. So on the trip to Arizona and Utah, we flew into Vegas, got two rental cars, and drove three and a half hours north and east to the Kaibab National Forest. And for those of you who don't know where that is, the Kaibab National Forest is about 30 miles north of the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And it is beautiful territory. There are big trees up on these ridges on the plateau. And the canyons in the plateau are anywhere from, I'd say, three to 400 feet below the ridge tops. So the hunting is not too terribly strenuous. But given the fact that you're starting at about anywhere from 6,500 feet in elevation, going all the way up to 9,500 feet in elevation, recovering from climbing the three or 400 feet out of those canyons back up to the ridge tops is pretty difficult. So even though the hunting was not physically strenuous, it actually was mentally strenuous because in Arizona, what we ran into was birds that were not goblin and wind. And that is a terrible combination, at least in my book. So we arrived Saturday afternoon to the Kaibab Plateau and were greeted with winds that were blowing 25 to 30 miles per hour. Sunday, the winds were predicted to lay down a little bit, and they did. The winds only blew about 20 to 25 miles per hour Sunday. <laughs> Despite the winds Sunday, I lucked into a strutting Merriam's turkey and was able to fill my tag in Arizona. The hunt was not glamorous. It was a complete ambush of a hunt. But given the circumstances of high wind and non-gobbling turkeys, you have to take what you can get sometimes. Our plan was to hunt until Wednesday around lunch and then leave the Kaibab National Forest to go to Utah and hunt in Utah and finish out our trip there. Well, I told you about the wind on Sunday. Monday, the wind actually laid down, and it was a beautiful, beautiful day filled with silence. Tuesday morning, we awoke to clouds and wind and what began as some scattered showers. Monday night, we decided after having two very frustrating, quiet days in the woods in Arizona that Tuesday at lunch we were going to load up and go to Utah and try to get Utah out of the way. And if we were successful in Utah, we would come back to Arizona. 
So that's what we did. Part of the reason that we made that decision is because every hunter that we talked to while we were out there was telling us that they didn't know what was going on with the birds, that they were not gobbling, and that there seemed to be fewer birds than there have been in previous years. So due to the reports that we were getting and what we were experiencing, we thought Utah would be a good thing to do. It would help to bring a little bit of life back to us and give us an opportunity to at least know that we've marked one state off of the list and give us an opportunity to go back and get some more turkeys in Arizona, if not the rest of the turkeys that we needed. So we did leave at lunch on Tuesday, made the short little hour and a half drive north to Alton, Utah, and I don't mind telling you guys when we run across a good outfitter. I also don't mind telling you when we run across a bad outfitter, but you will not hear me badmouth an outfitter on this show and mention the name of that outfitter at the same time. You will hear me praise an outfitter on this show and give the name of that outfitter at the same time. Now, if you are going to one of the states that we had an experience with a bad outfitter in, and you want the name of that outfitter, I will give it to you individually, but I will not badmouth someone on the show. So with that said, we arrived in Alton, Utah at Color Country Outfitters, and the head man there, Wade, met us at the lodge. First impression was this. We pull up to a lodge that is about 3,500 square feet. It's a log cabin, beautiful grounds. We walk inside, The kitchen in this place is, I'm not even going to say nicer than my house. It's much nicer than the kitchen in my house. The living room is huge. There's a game room upstairs. There's something like, I can't remember, 11 bedrooms in this house. I mean, this thing is big. And I'm saying house, and it's a lodge. It's only used for their hunting purposes. And then in the summers, they'll rent it out for vacation purposes for people who want to come and visit some of the sites in the area. So first impressions of the place were good. And when we meet with Wade, the man in charge, he begins to tell us that he wishes that we were there last week. There was a good bit of gobbling going on and that this week it's tapered off a little bit. They're still seeing some birds. Their bird numbers are down and he's not real sure how this is going to turn out. Well, this is the exact same conversation that I had with Wade the week before we went on the trip. But I had to pick Wade's brain because when someone says their population is down, we don't have as many turkeys as we normally do, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that they were seeing a 1,000 turkeys before winter and now this spring they're only seeing 10? Does that mean that they were seeing 500 turkeys before winter and now they're seeing only 400 turkeys? So that's all relative. And so when I called Wade to chat with him before we went up there on the trip, I'd already gotten that story from him. And I began to pick his brain a little bit more. I found out they had game cameras set up throughout their ranches that they have permission to hunt. And I also found out that they had several groups of turkeys on these cameras with one to three toms in each group of turkeys. And Wade 
didn't know what to expect. He didn't know how to prepare us for what was going to come up on our hunt. And so this is what Wade told us when we got there Tuesday afternoon. After my conversation with Wade on the telephone the week before the trip, I felt comfortable enough with Wade and with the information that he gave me to go ahead and give him a shot. When we got there Tuesday, we were asking him questions. And one of the questions was, well, are you ready for us to settle up with you money-wise? And his response was, no, let's see how this goes before I take any of your money. So I can tell you right then and there that Wade made four friends in a hurry. Wade turned two of those friends into really good friends in about two hours' time because that's how long it took for Brian and me to tag out in Utah. Both Brian and I fanned our turkeys, and and the bird I killed was one of three strutters that came in. And I had this bird picked out because he was the one that would not break out a strut the whole time. But he had a buddy with him who had two tail feathers missing from his fan. And that joker almost got shot because he just looked bad. And I don't mean like he looked terrible. I mean, he looked bad, like capital B, capital A, capital D, bad. But I changed my mind about shooting him when he dropped out of strut one time and walked about three or four steps and went back into strut. And the other bird, the one that I killed, never came out of strut until I made him come out of strut right before I shot. So it's a rainy afternoon in Utah, and I call in three toms who are gobbling pretty much the whole way that they're coming in. They're strutting pretty much the whole way they're coming in. And this was night and day difference from what we experienced in Arizona. So Brian and I were the only ones that killed Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday morning, John killed his turkey. Chip proceeded to mess up seven, seven opportunities at turkeys on Wednesday morning and afternoon. And Chip finally killed his turkey Thursday morning. While Chip is out trying to kill his turkey Wednesday afternoon, Brian and I loaded back up, drove back down to Arizona to try to get Brian a bird. And after a little bit of coaxing, once we got there, I was able to talk Brian into hunting a water tank because it had been so dry in Arizona. And on the way into the tank, Brian rounds a curve in the road, the gobbler is standing in the road, and Brian shoots at him twice and misses. So Brian had an opportunity to kill in Arizona. Chip and John show back up Thursday afternoon, and John kills Thursday afternoon. We've got two birds down in Arizona. Brian has missed, so we had three opportunities so far. And that's how we ended it. So we actually had real live turkey hunts Friday morning and a very, very, very brief turkey hunt Saturday morning but there were no turkeys killed Friday or Saturday. So, in seven days, in two states, we killed six turkeys. We needed to kill eight. We've got to go back to Arizona to get Brian and Chip a turkey. But, it won't happen next year. It will not happen in 2018, because we had our vote while we were on the trip of where we're going to go next year. And, we're headed back west, to the northwest. So Idaho and Washington, I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll be there in a year. So you guys go ahead and get prepared. <laughs> okay, so we've got a great show for you guys today. And I'm going to do a real quick intro and then I'm going to get into it because the interview is a little bit long and I've taken a little bit of a long time telling this story about the Arizona and Utah trip as well. But what I've got for you today is I'm talking about TSS. TSS is tungsten super shot. And instead of lead based shotgun shells or lead pelleted shotgun shells, which has been the norm probably ever since shotguns were invented, TSS or tungsten super shot is a heavier than lead alloy that is being used as a substitute for lead shot in shotgun shells. And now, TSS is nothing new. If you've been shooting heavy metals, heavy shot brand shells, or Federal's heavyweight brand shells, you've been shooting a version of TSS. But today, I'm digging in and I'm getting dirty with TSS with a guy named Nick Charney. And Nick Charney is one of the owners of Apex Ammunition. And they make shotgun shells that are of the most dense type of TSS that you can get. And they are the only manufacturers of the most dense TSS shot that you can get. So they're manufacturing this commercially and they're selling this. And I want you guys to listen in close. I'm going to go ahead and tell you towards the end of the interview that I asked Nick to do some math for us. And I've got my calculator on my phone and I'm trying to do math at the same time. And the math gets a little bit fuzzy. But we're going to talk about that after the interview's over. And I'm going to clear up some of that fuzzy math after Nick and I finish the interview. So, you guys listening close, I think you're going to learn something pretty cool today. And I will see you beep. And I will see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, I'm glad to tell you that I have on the line with me tonight Nick Charney. And Nick is with Apex Ammunition. I actually bumped into Nick at the NWTF convention in Nashville when he was talking to Harold Knight. So I was waiting to talk to Harold and Nick turned around and I remember he looked at me and said, sorry to keep you from Harold for so long. I listen to the podcast and I enjoy it and thank you for doing that. And I thought that was pretty cool. But I had my right ear in Nick's conversation with Harold because Nick was talking to Harold about something that is pretty interesting to me. So you guys know that I'm a little bit of a gun nut, and because I'm a gun nut, I like ammo as well. One of the best smells in this world to me is gunpowder after it creates a fire. I love the smell of that. And so Nick was talking to Harold about shotgun shells. So of course, my interest was piqued. Nick and I exchanged information very quickly, and he turned me loose to talk to Harold. And I wanted to get Nick on because... He is with Apex Ammunition. They're doing something a little bit different than some of the other ammo manufacturers out there. So let's get on into this interview. Nick, how are you and where are you today? Thanks, Andy. I am doing really well, actually. I am in Columbus, Mississippi. I am actually at our shop 
actually getting ready to produce some more shells for inventory purposes and to do some trial and error testing with some new load recipes that we've been developing. So give us kind of the Cliff's Note version about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Well, about myself, I grew up in Southern Maryland, enlisted in the Air Force when I was 18, joined and went off to be an intelligence analyst. I applied to a commissioning program, got picked up, went to the Air Force Academy. And when I was there, a buddy of mine that I played rugby with, I've been hunting all my life, but just only deer hunting and only gun hunting. One of my best friends now said, hey, why don't we go back to Kansas? My dad is a game warden and he knows just a bunch of landowners. And why don't we go turkey hunting? And I think it'd be great for us. I said, okay. So I asked another guy, I said, I have no idea about turkey hunting. I'm clueless. And he says, man, I'm from New York and this is what we live for. I said, okay, cool, let's go. And so I invited him and the three of us drove out there to the Flint Hills in Kansas. And on the first day, I shot my first bird, tried to run a mouth call for the first time, almost choked on it, got laughed at pretty hard, told my buddy I shot my first turkey right in the lungs because I had no idea what I was doing. And it turns out I just brush shot him uh, with my first turkey gun that I bought with a Benelli Nova. And I was shooting, I think, the the old Remington box that still had heavy shot on it. Oh, yeah. Those were great shells back in the day. They were. They were. They were truly one of their kind. You know, when, and this is kind of neither here nor there, but it's related to turkey hunting, and I hope it kind of drives a point home to people who are listening. When Remington was making the heavy shot shells, I bought those and was shooting them out of my gun. And I think they, they made them for a couple of years, and then heavy shot took it back and started making them. And I switched over and started shooting the heavy shot brand. And the heavy shot brand shot about a foot low and a foot right in my gun. And that year I missed eight turkeys. And the reason that I'm even telling that story is because I want people to know that not all shotgun shells are created equal. They do not all shoot the same. And if you change shells, if you're on a hunting trip and you run out of shells and your buddy says to you, here, shoot this shell right here, it is not the same as the shell you've been shooting if it's a different brand or even a different shot size. So you need to ask for two or three of those shells from your buddy and you need to get out there on a target and make sure that the gun's shooting where you're aiming. So I'm through with that now, but I just, I thought that that's cool that you brought that up saying that that you shot that turkey with Remington heavy shot. And so that just brought back a little memory there. I flashed back on us. So are you up for trying out the rapid fire Q&A? I am absolutely up for it. All right. And you know how it works? I sure do. Very good. Then I don't have to explain it to you. I'm going to pull up the stopwatch on my phone. I've got the 30 questions here and I'm going to start the stopwatch just as soon as I start question number one and we will rock and roll with these things. That sounds great. Here we go. How many turkeys did you kill last year? Last year I killed eight. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, push pull, tube or wing bone? Uh, Pot call and mouth call and box call. Wild turkey, grilled, baked or fried? Fried all day long. Wild turkey on the rocks, neat with cola or with water? With cola. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Have you ever killed a jake? Yes. A 10-minute successful hunt on a 2-year-old or a 4-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a 4-year-old? I'd rather take the successful hunt 8 days a week. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? For dinner. State you killed your first turkey in? 
Kansas. State you killed your last turkey in. Tennessee. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot. Well, I prefer killing turkey, so I'll sit in that blind all day long. Two and three quarter inch, three inch or three and a half inch? Depends what you shoot, TSS or lead. I'll take two and three quarter inch TSS. All right. Four, five, six or blended? Actually, I'll shoot a number nine or a number eight. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Ooh, woods turkeys. They seem to got their wits about them. Yeah, pump or automatic? Uh, Automatic. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight or beads? Old-fashioned bead, it never fails. Rubber boots, leather boots or snake boots? Snake boots. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Eight. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Skunked. Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Oh, the South by far, Mississippi. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? The plain hen yelp. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good of a turkey caller do you think you are? We'll say 5, just to save face here. Best turkey hunter you know? Oh, man, there's so many. Uh, It'd be the guy, really the best turkey hunter I know goes between two people. A guy known by the name of Matt Blue and another guy by the name of Nathan Blout. One of them's the best turkey caller and hunter I ever know, and the other one, God, I think he's part turkey. All right. Favorite turkey hunting book? Ooh, Tom Kelly's 10th Legion. Classic. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? guy by the name of Matt Blue taught me everything I know. Tough love is, is a real thing. Think of the toughest turkey you've ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? Yes, I did, and I got really lucky, and I uh, turned out to be my biggest bird. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Ooh, spurs. Biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Patience and woodsmanship kill more turkeys than anything combined. Bigger fear during turkey season, snakes or spiders? Ooh, snakes all day long. How long does turkey season last in heaven, and what is the bag limit? Infinite and infinite. All right. I got you in at 3 minutes and 38.25 seconds. Not too bad. I have to tell you, though, that I think Ernie Calandrelli got you pretty good. He was at 2 minutes and 49 seconds. So, but you didn't do too bad. You did better than I did. That's what I have to tell you. So, all right. Let's jump in. And I've got a mess of questions to ask you about your company about the shells that you guys are making and what makes them better and different. So what I want you to do, and I usually save this question for the end of the interview, but because this whole interview is involved around what you do, I want to ask you this first. Tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys are doing. So we are Apex Ammunition, and we right now are the only commercially loading and manufacturer of pure TSS rounds, which is Tungsten Supershot. And we are uh, making turkey ammunition to follow on later, waterfowl ammunition. But we are actually building a line of Tungsten Supershot all the way from a 410 all the way through a 10 gauge for all turkey hunters alike, whether they like auto guns, they like pump guns, they like three-inch loads, they like three-and-a-half-inch loads, they like just a smaller gun for kids and youth, or they just older folks or just people that don't want to carry a heavy gun around the woods. You know, we try to make a a variety of products to meet everybody that's a a diehard turkey hunter. So you guys are, you're not only making just the 10, 12, and 20s, but you're making 410s and 16 and 28 gauge as well. The 16 we will be making. The 28 gauge is, we are making 28 gauge and 410 as well in a three-inch load. Unless someone loads themselves, correct me if I'm wrong, there is no way to get a 16-gauge, 28-gauge, or a 410 in any sort of heavier-than-lead type of shot, is there? 
To my knowledge, no. Unless you want to purchase it in lead, that's you're pretty much what you're limited to. And I couldn't even find a 16-gauge turkey load, period. I'm not saying there's not one out there. I just couldn't find it. And I looked around. I've actually got a 16-gauge that a friend of mine gave me. And I'd like to shoot a turkey with that thing one day, but I just haven't been able to find any shells for it. So now that I know that you are around and you're making shells for these less popular gauge shotguns, then I know where to find turkey shells. So that's good. Okay, so you mentioned TSS, Tungsten Super Shot. What is it? And why is TSS better than lead shot? Tungsten Super Shot is a high density tungsten alloy mixed with some other metals. And it reigns in a density of polished about 18 and a half grams per cubic centimeter, unpolished about 18. And so why is this better than lead? Well, one, a lot of states, if you haven't noticed, are kind of transitioning out of that lead realm, especially on public lands in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. Uh, This TSS is actually a Fish and Wildlife Service approved non-toxic load. So there's uh, a long coupling with steel makes it two viable ends of the spectrum. So why is it better than lead? Well, we compare apples to apples by comparing density. So you can take a great big ball. It's kind of like taking a wiffle ball and a baseball. And you can throw that wiffle ball as hard as you want, but eventually it's going to shed velocity a lot quicker than, say, a baseball will. And that's just due to the density and the weight. So you look at the spectrum of densities that we as hunters typically use. You can look at steel, which is about 7.84 grams per cubic centimeter. Typical zinc-coated steel reigns in about that. You got some other densities where people might copper coat some lead, et cetera, copper coat some steel. But for for simplicity purposes, you got all the way on the low end, typical steel is 7.84 grams per cubic centimeter. You got guys that shoot bismuth, which is a lot softer for your old Damascus steel and older shooting shotguns that they want to shoot that can't handle this high, brittle, and very hard tungsten. So they she got bismuth, which reigns in about nine and a half grams per cubic centimeter. Your typical lead is about 11.8 grams per cubic centimeter. And then you got your standard heavy shot that reigns in at about 13 grams per cubic centimeter. Well, tungsten super shot actually reigns in at 18 and a half. So it's the very high end of the spectrum. Pure tungsten is 19.3 grams per cubic centimeter. Well, pure tungsten comes in the form of a white powder. So they mix this with another alloy and with some nickel and some iron, and they actually create a very polished looking alloy that's called tungsten super shot. And it actually reigns in there. It's about the highest you can get at 18 and a half grams per cubic centimeter. So what we can do then is we can actually make a smaller size pellet with extreme greater density, which carries more momentum downrange than, say, equivocal of number five heavy metal or number four lead. And so because of that, it's also what a lot of folks don't think of, too, is that it also because it's a smaller pellet, you also reduce a lot of the aerodynamic friction, if you will, on the actual shot. Smaller surface area, less drag. Therefore, you can maintain that momentum at the farther distance. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the realm of how we compare apples to apples with shot size and density. Yeah, and that makes perfectly good sense. A smaller projectile is going to have less resistance, so that adds up. That's about as easy as we can put it in terms. So what you're telling me is that we can shoot smaller-sized shot with TSS, made of TSS, and still get the same or maybe even more foot-pounds of energy downrange than we can with lead. Is that right? So I can absolutely, yes, I can absolutely break down a um, kind of a spectrum, if you will, to compare it. So 
you talk about number four lead. Number mm -hmm. four lead, you're going to get about 136 pellets per ounce. Most of your turkey hunters out there and most of your common ammunition, you know, long beard XR usually comes in five and sixes. Lead number fours are about 136 pellets per ounce. They're knocking an energy downrange of 200, about 230, 233 foot pounds per square inch. When you look at, say, lead number five, you're dipping down because you're going to a smaller pellet. You're going to get about 173 pellets per ounce. So as you go down and smaller, you're leaving up more volume so you can put more pellets in there. Well, you're dropping down the energy. So lead number five is usually going to come down to about 200 foot pounds per square inch. You look at heavy number sixes, you know, obviously the density is greater than lead. So there you can get about 206 pellets per ounce. Uh, you're looking at about a 40-ish pellets per ounce greater increase due to the density. And you're maintaining that about 200 foot-pounds per square inch. Well, this tungsten SuperSot number nine, actually, yeah, we're getting 360 pellets per ounce. And we're actually matching number four lead in terms of energy at foot-pounds per square inch of 236 downrange. But because of our aerodynamic gain that we get from a smaller shot size, we can maintain that momentum to further distances. So actually what has been proven is that tungsten super shot will actually get about an inch to an inch and a half penetration in ballistics gel between 85 to 95 yards. Holy cow. Wow. I had no idea that it performed like that. That's crazy at that distance. So when, you, when you're comparing, say, number four lead shot to a number nine TSS, when you say downrange and you give us the foot pounds per energy downrange, at what distance is that measurement taken? Okay, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. This concludes the interview for the free portion of the show. If you would like to hear the full interview, then you'll need to subscribe to the show. And to subscribe to the show, it's pretty easy. All you need to do is text the word Turkey Hunter no spaces, to the number 44222. Once you do that, I will text you back and ask you to reply to that text message with only your email address. Once you reply with only your email address, I will then email you a link that you can click on to subscribe to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. At that point, you'll create a username and a password that you can enter into your Podbean app on your mobile device, and you'll be able to listen to the Turkey Hunter podcast premium content this week and for the next 52 weeks. And it gets you not only the content going forward in the future, but the premium content that we've done in the past as well. The cost of the subscription is 12, count them, 12 American dollars. And... I'm going to donate one of those $12 to the National Wild Turkey Federation for every subscription that we get. So, before I cut you loose, I want to ask you to do two favors for me. That's right, this week I'm asking for two favors. Number one, if you decide to buy any of Nick's shells, any shells from Apex Ammunition, if you would let them know that you heard about them, by listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. That would be a huge help. I'd greatly appreciate that. The second one is really easy. Please forward and retweet this episode on Facebook and Twitter. That's it. That's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.